Hello, I am Zelda Volkov, and you are listening to the Oh My God podcast. This is a space where honest conversation and raw interaction takes place. In these 25 minutes, I interview badass trailblazers and industry leaders about the things that they had to overcome to achieve success. The challenges that they faced as human beings first and as industry leaders second, leaving you with actionable techniques and takeaways to implement into your life immediately, taking you from where you are right now to where you want to go. This week's episode is a special one. The podcast tables are turned. Our Zelda is interviewed instead of the other way around. Her interviewer is known on Instagram as Soulpreneur Babe and off the internet as Hendy Israel. Hendy and Zelda had a fantastic interview, so much so that it was enough to fill two full episodes of content. As such, what you'll hear this week is only part one of two. Tune in next week for the second half of the episode. We know you'll enjoy hearing about Zelda's morning routine and why she's a part of the 5am club and how she balances being a mom and an entrepreneur. Now, over to Hendy. That's amazing, which actually leads me to starting our session, podcast, whatever you want to call this, Spirit Sisters Talking, because one of the things I want to explore with you is what your morning routine looks like, because there are so many mom entrepreneurs out there that are also single parenting. It's just our, the reality. Or mom entrepreneurs that haven't sprouted yet and they know that they are going to get divorced one day and they're going to have to open their own business. So what would you recommend? Like what time should they wake up or, or what does your morning rituals look like? Right, <clears throat> by the way, that's a really good question because I feel like when I was contemplating getting divorced, one of the major set of like holdups that I, you know, was stuck on before I actually pulled the trigger was how am I going to do this alone? Like he's such a big help because he's such a great dad. He's very involved. He's very hands-on. And that was really one of my only issues was like, this is just going to be physically hard. Like I know emotionally, you know, this is not the right match and, you know, but this is just going to be physically hard. And I think which is really good that you're talking about this because I think having a morning routine or any kind of routine, having a schedule, getting clear on your day is, is like an anchor. Whether you're with someone, whether you're alone, it's really something that gives you uh, stability. And so when we get overwhelmed with like, oh, everything's so hard and we're like in this fuzz of just like confusion and worry and anxiety, having a clear schedule, if it does anything, like it does so many things, there's so many benefits to it, but, but at the very least, it just helps your brain get clear and focused. And it really, really, um, you know, kills anxiety is, is what I'm trying to say. So it's a really yeah. good, um, it's a really good tool. So my morning routine <clears throat> is I wake up at 4:45, and I, do this because for me, it's very important to be part of the 5 a.m. club. Even just, even if it's a mental thing, I could do the same thing technically at 6 a.m. But for me, the fact that it's a five, it's an extra hour and automatically in the morning when it's still dark and people are, everyone's not doing anything, you're so much more focused on doing something productive. You're not going to wake up early to watch, to scroll through Instagram. You're not going to wake up early to just mindlessly do anything, you know, you're really focused. 
And so <clears throat> I wake up 4.45, you know, I go to the bathroom, brush my teeth. By five, I meditate. So I'm meditating at five uh, to 5.20, 5.20 to 5.40, I work out. So I do something that actually makes my body sweat, which is so important because when we wake up, we actually release so much cortisol which is why people are like, oh, they're not morning people. They need their coffee. Don't talk to me because we literally get this huge dump of cortisol, which is a stressor. You know, it stresses us out. So, and we wake up really dehydrated, by the way. So you want to make sure that you also, you know, drink a lot of water before you do anything. Um, and then from 540 to, five, to six o'clock, I learned something. And I'm a big believer, big, big believer in, learning every single day you cannot rely on the education of what you learned 10 years ago and i'm, I'm saying this because i literally was like that you know for years i never actively yeah i would read but more for pleasure more for leisure more for entertainment not necessarily to actually give myself information or to educate myself and it's just it my, it blows my mind how much information there is in the world and how much free information there is in the world and no matter how much we learn you know sometimes i get you know into my head and i'm like oh what can i learn about you know like today for example on my run i was you know looking through what to listen to i listened to different lectures and podcasts and there was this one that said like the science of water and like my stupid brain is like oh, what can I learn already about water? And I'm like, well, clearly a lot because there's an hour conversation about water. <laughs> so obviously I can learn a lot. Um, but it's just funny how we get into our heads, how we think, you know, and obviously it's the less you know, the more you think you know, but such a youth, yeah, education and just, it just makes you more curious. If anything, you know, it's not just a matter of just retaining information so you, you're smart and you have all this information. But at the very least, so that it gets you curious about different topics, and then that could lead you to your purpose. If you're mm. not curious about different topics, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get to know what your purpose is on the, on this earth because you're very limited in what you're exposed to. Getting curious, learning about all different stuff will actually lead you to your purpose. So it's it's really something that's important. Um, and by the way, I could go on a million tangents, so I I gotta stay on okay. on point. That's my morning hour. That's my power hour. Love it. Love it because I just joined like last month, the 5 a.m. club. I've been pushing it off and pushing it off. And then finally I'm like, I need to join the 5 a.m. club. All my friends are doing it. Got to do it. And I just recently, and like, I decided that waking up at 5 a.m. creates a magical day. Just alignment happens. Magic happens. You get blessed. You like get rewarded just from waking up at five. Yeah. What's so amazing about waking up early is that when you set the intention, I'm going to wake up early and then you don't hit the snooze button and you actually get up, that is the first battle that you won. You won the battle mm -hmm. of the morning and you put yourself up in this positive spiral rather than hitting the snooze button, not listening to yourself, already failing, and then going into the day already with this failing mindset. And then when things come at you at the day, as they always come at us throughout the day, we're already in this self-deprecating, you know, failure mindset. And so when we win the battle of the morning, 
it is so much more than just waking up early. It's about, I got this. I am stronger than my mind. I am stronger than all these noise and all these uh, voices. And it's just, there's so many benefits. So good. So good. Yes. And I'm feeling it. Okay. You mentioned that the world is truly my teacher and I am and will always be a student, which is something I teach to my tribe as well, which we are just here to learn. So I want to know what was some or one of your greatest lessons that you learned in your human experience? But wow, that's a really, really good question. I would say that the most I've learned so many, it's obviously hard to pick one. Um, but and I'm always still learning and I hope I'm going to learn even much more profound um, items. But I would say that the most recent thing that I've learned that is, you know, that just popped into my head and it's always fascinates me because it's something that when I see it happening again and again, it's like, wow, that's amazing. It's, you know, the world is really our mirror. And that to me is something that when I realized how it is so prevalent in every part of our life, you know, it's not just, oh, the world is our mirror, whatever you, whatever is inside you, you see in the world, but it's truly the case with everything we say, everything we think, everything we see, you know, if you, you know, I, I, the, the first person that I heard say this to me, I was in a festival in Panama. I was alone in new, on New Year's, taking in 2020, you know, and it's so and it's funny, like that festival really encompassed this whole 2020, this whole year for me, really, in a way. But I was just totally living in the moment and just surrendered to the moment, dancing and all these lights and all. And then there was just this girl in front of me and she just looked like she was so excited and beautiful. And like she had this like energy of this aura of, of happiness and just like light. You know, she was talking to people and she was like, she just exuded light, you know, like some, you know, I'm sensitive to energy. Sometimes people have this like dark energy and then sometimes they're just full of light. And I, I just came over to her and I said, you're so beautiful. You're, you have this like amazing aura. And she's like, I am your mirror. And that was the first time that I heard that. I, the first time I heard someone say that to me, but I couldn't stop thinking about it to this day. Whenever, you know, someone has a judgment, whenever anybody has a negative thing to say, or even anxiety, anything, literally anything in the world, it's truly just a reflection of what's going on inside ourselves. And it's such a great tool. Yeah, and that was such a beautiful thing for her to say, but it was, it was really a, a learning moment for me. You know, it kind of opened everything for me. And also like the way we relate to other people, you know, how I really believe that we all have a soul. You know, I feel it, you know, really strongly. And we all have a soul and our we're all part of this like collective big soul, which is Hashem. You know, we're all, we're all part of this essence, Hashem's essence. And so we're all part of this one organism of soul, whatever you want to call it. And, and so when we see in another person, anything at all, it's really, it's, it's part of our one big soul, you know, it's not anything different. So it's really, it's really cool. It's a really cool concept. Yeah, that seems like a really enlightened individual and you're tapping into like that, her field of, and just, that's just someone being in tune and in gratitude and sharing their light and how much that could change and affect another person by a simple sentence and that changes. And I remember learning that and I 
it really, really goes so deep. Like when you're sitting at a table and you notice someone's eating too fast, like it's for yeah. you. You're the one that eats too fast. That's why you're seeing it in them. And yeah. when you notice that someone's so beautiful or someone's so awesome, that's you. You could only see what exists inside of you. Yeah. And this is the part where we like magnify how we experience our human reality by who we choose to be, what we call in, what we what we see and notice. So I, that for me is the highest path to live and an amazing perspective that is so cool that you learned it at, you know, while dancing or while being at a festival where like Hashem really is everywhere, you know, and it's in the hearts of people in the universe. Like someone like from another culture, from another race, from another country could just say two lines and it's, Who's it really from? Hashem. Like these one-liners, these these things that we hear, that's just the universe waking us up. It's so, it's so amazing. Exactly. It's just there to enlighten us. It's really, it's just so special. It's really special. And it's so true. When we see anything in another person and it we want to pass judgment or we want to be like, oh, that's weird. It's really, it's really us. Like we have that inside ourselves. So true. We, that, it's just it's 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 like a, a guide for us to figure out we still got we got work to do. Yeah. So I am so curious. I'm obviously so curious about so much. Um, but in your journey, you were raised Orthodox. You were married Orthodox, and I know that many of my friends, um, you know, created their own paths after marriage, post children as well. And I think one of the hardest parts was because we have kids, because we raise them a certain way, it could be really hard for a mother to just reinvent herself or to change beliefs that aren't no longer serving her. So one, what was one of the moments where you gave yourself permission to break the mold? And do you have a memory? Like, I know like certain friends, like they remember the first time they decided that they're going to keep Shabbos differently. And so just tell me a little bit about your experience of breaking their mold. Did shame and guilt come up for you? Was it like a long, hard battle? I'm just curious to learn more. Uh, well, first of all, great question. And I also want to point out, I love how you said, uh, keep Shabbos differently instead of saying breaking Shabbos. I absolutely love that. I'm going to adopt that. Um, so there was, you know, it's funny when you say that because I don't think there was one moment where it all started and I don't think that it's over. I think that it's continuously happening and it's constantly happening in different, in different ways and in different depths. But um, I will say that I remember, you know, my oldest daughter is, she's almost 10. And, you know, children are the smartest, most, most truest versions of people. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't want to lie. They definitely have no desire to lie. They only lie if they really have to, only because they're not going to be received. And that's how they pick up lying. And that's how adults start to lie because our truth is not received. But generally children don't even know how to lie. Like they're just true, you know, in their essence. And they also pick up our bullshit, or I don't know if we could curse here, but they pick up our lies. And um, they really pick up our lies. And so I remember for, for a while, I was like sneaking my phone on Chavez. Like I didn't want them to know because I, I, I fell into the trap of believing that I'm going to confuse them. That if they're going to see me not keeping Chavez or keeping Chavez differently, 
that it's going to confuse them because that, that's 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 the word on the street children need one one approach they need to be exposed to one way because otherwise you're going to mess them up um which by the way begs the question how all these other people including myself how we were not messed up if we were exposed to one way you know totally a limiting belief that we just buy into and um, at one point I was using my phone and then I put it down because I heard her coming and I, and I caught myself. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, first of all, I'm not a criminal here. I'm not like, what am I doing? Like hiding? Like, this is just feels so wrong. It doesn't feel like I'm being truthful to myself. It doesn't feel like I'm being truthful to my child. But then I also noticed like her coming and that she saw me putting my phone down meaning she's not stupid. She saw, she's going to pretend like she didn't see because maybe it's a little awkward. I said, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about it, to discuss it, to have a conversation, not to hide away from it but as if it's not there, as if everything's fine, as if, um, you know, there's just this like awkwardness. And I said, what is this? You know? And I spoke to her. I said, you know, you grow, you, you're growing up very religious. You go to a religious school. Your father's very religious. I used to be very religious, used to have, you know, things changed. I'm going, I'm on my own journey. I'm learning, I'm discovering, I'm thinking about things a different way. And for me, using my phone is, is something that I'm okay with right now. I said, I don't know where I'm going to be in the future. I think religion is a very personal relationship between us and Hashem. And you have a, your own relationship with Hashem. And it's beautiful to see that you love Shabbos and you love being religious and you love Hashem and it's beautiful and I love that and I support you and I will do all that I can to support you in your journey with Hashem, however much that I can. But th there, are, there are things that are not between people. It's just between us and Hashem and it's individual. And this is, this is where I'm at right now. And honestly, I saw in her this release, like this weight off her shoulders where she didn't have to hold my secret. She didn't, you know, because again, children are so intuitive. Even if she didn't see me in that moment with the phone, children are still so intuitive. They are truth. They are truth. We don't need to hide and lie to them. We could share our truth with them. And so that was a big moment for me. And I think that a lot, you know, being able to share my truth and being able to um, show up as my real self to my children has been a game changer in our relationship. It just brought us so much closer. Um, and I think that's a very important lesson in general to always show up as your true self and not feel like you need to hide a part of yourself. The only reason why we feel like we need to hide a part of ourselves is because we feel like our truth is not going to be received or mm. because we haven't accepted that truth about ourselves yet. Either one of those, you know? A lot of times we deny our truth to ourselves so we can't share it either. True. Wow. That's so beautiful. It's like you use the opportunity to teach your kids how there's difference. And in my house too, there is something that I say at least once a week, which is religion is a private matter and nobody can tell like, cause I have daughters that's, um, I have a 12 year old and an um, 10 year old. And so, you know, they're at the age where they come to me and they're sort of wearing short shorts and they'll come up to me looking for approval or whatever it is. And I say, how do you feel 
this is, I can never answer something like that for you. It needs to come from you. Like, what would you like? How do you want to dress? And she, you know, and my daughter will be like, well, I think for jogging right now at night, this is fine. In general, if you can find me longer shorts, that would be great. And like, they're, um, they're, they're building their own sense of what they're comfortable in by me living under this rule. In my home, religion is a private matter and nobody can tell you how to do it or what to do. It's something that you need to find for yourself. And so I think that this is like our generation, a product of seeing like people being forced to do things robotically, not knowing why they're doing it, doing it out of fear for our parents, society. So we're like, we're gonna create a sacred space for our children to kind of be um, supported in finding a path that works for them, right? Yeah. So I think that's- I absolutely love that. and. It's so important. We don't nurture, you know, growing up, I'm saying, when I say we, I'm saying the ultra-Orthodox community or any ultra-religious community, we do not nurture personal relationships, individual relationships. In fact, we completely do everything the opposite. We completely do, we completely do not support, you know, we oppress their individual individuality. And I don't, you know, for me, it's not about shaming or or putting, uh, you know, the, the religious community in, 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 in some sort of like black space. I'm just trying to really almost educate them that this is not the way to do it. Because if you understand the purpose, if you're, if, you know, you have to get very clear on the intention. If the mm. intention is to be a robot, then yeah, you're doing a good job because that's a perfect way because they're gonna stay in line because they're afraid because they don't have a sense of self because they don't want to be rejected from their family. They, they want the financial support. They want the emotional support, whatever that may be. And so they're going to do what, the lip service and they're going to do everything necessary and dress. But if the intention is to nourish and curate a personal relationship with the creator, with Hashem, then that's absolutely not only not going to help it, it's doing harm. It's completely harming the relation, the individual relationship. And so I just don't understand why why they do that because it just doesn't make any sense to me unless they're just trying to create robots. And also, I think it's so important what you said, how do you feel? That's nurturing your own trust mm -hmm. with yourself, your own trust with your relationship with Hashem. And that should be the intention. That should be the goal with your children is that you could start to have them, you know, trust themselves. Growing up extremely religious, there's no sense of self-trust. There's no sense of trust in your psyche, your own, especially for girls. You know, for guys, it might be more because, you know, they learn to become rabbis. Right. And they, for girls, especially, there is no sense of self, let alone, you know, well, how do you feel? It's not about how you feel. It's about the laws. But it all has to be a delicate balance. It can't just be about, you know, the laws, and then you end up becoming you know, an artificial robot. Yeah, I really see that. The, the biggest threat to um, religion would be individuality. Like I remember going to Base Yaakov like with pink socks because I just wanted to be my own person or bigger earrings or my hairstyle a little different. And that was always so threatening to the point where in third, fourth, fifth grade, they were coming up to me being like, you are so rebellious. We see where you're going with this. And I'm like, it's just pink socks. And so it's like the biggest threat is when people aren't the same. And I think from my experience, it's like 
we've been experiencing the patriarchal side of things in all areas, religion, business, um, it, 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 in the industrial revolution, there's been so much just patriarchy. And as the feminine rises, as the moon becomes as big as the sun, which is also in religious mysticism, what is going to happen in the days of redemption, the feminine, the future is feminine. We're now going to explore religion from a more feminine perspective of let's hold sacred space. Wait, this is not a hierarchy. Let's, let's, let's make this circle. Let's ask people how they feel. Let's create individuality. Let's, let's create space for expression, for, for challenging the status quo, for creativity, for people creating their own paths. It's no longer this man said something, we all need to do it the same. And if not, one is better than the other. So that's an old model that won't work for, for the female revolution of the feminine within us all. So you're just, you're just that, you're just, you're one of those trailblazer women and also in your entrepreneurship, but also the fact that you have broken the mold and created your own path and having conversations like this with your children. This is like the future is female within Judaism. Right. And I also want to say that it's so, it's not easy at all, at all. And I still deal with a lot of, you know, my parents' anxiety and their, you know, and, and it's interesting, there was a shift, you know, when I was younger, and I want to say this again, because I think it's very important, that I in no way um, want to put you know, people that are religious or put like a black mark on, on ultra-orthodoxy. I think a lot of people have pure intentions and there are a lot of good in there. And But it could be very dangerous if, if it's manipulated and if it's controlled and if there's no sense of self. And I know that a lot of people grow up very religious and they don't feel this. So obviously this is not for them. This is for the people that do grow up religious and do feel no sense of self, that do feel no sense of, um, autonomy, which is so, so, it's our primal need to have a sense of autonomy. So um, I want to say that even, you know, even now that I'm so on my own path and literally nothing can get in my way, you know, I'm very much, um, I understand my purpose, I understand my mission, I understand my life and nobody, nobody's going to be able to manipulate me to stop, you know, this is really my path and my purpose. And I really do try to come at, come at it with love because I understand the anxiety and the pain and the suffering that people in that mindset feel. And it's legitimate. And it's, you know, and it's, they're not coming from, from, from hate. They're coming from pain and from fear. So, you know, there's no reason to come at it with anger for me, I'm saying, because I understand that, you know, like, for example, my parents, I understand that they're I'm going to disappoint, you know, it's a disappointment to them because it's not the way they view the world. It's not the way, they, it's not their, their, their perspective on the world. So I really had to reconcile the fact that I am going to absolutely disappoint them because my lifestyle is different to them, but that does not mean in any way that I have to disrespect them. And I think that's such an important thing because a lot of people can't really tell the difference or don't really know the difference or don't even know that there is a difference to be made because they're so sad and they're so upset and hurt that their parents don't accept them. So they just, you know, completely, um, you know, feel that their parents' feelings are irrelevant. So I think it's very important to make a distinction between disappointment and disrespect. 
Um, and I think that's with any relationship, you know, with co-parenting, with um, there's, you know, when people hurt us, we, we tend to retract or retrieve or, or do, you know, have revenge or give silent treatment or not want to, and so, you know, not want to like come, come, come together or see anything with a, with a joint collective space. And I think it's so important that we just want to get clear on our intentions. What is the point of this relationship? What is the point of, uh, what, what, what's my point? What is my goal? And when we do that, it's so much easier to come at it from a much more peaceful, um, you know, perspective and full of love. Thank you so much for tuning into this special episode. We really hope that you enjoyed. And don't forget to tune in next week for the second half of this episode. Next week's episode will be just a bit longer to include a reminder of what they spoke about in this episode too. Thank you.